Today's Bible reading comes from Leviticus chapter 16, verses 1 to 34. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die, for I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin suffering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and deal with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make the atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanliness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it into the wilderness. 
Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place, and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in the sanctuary area and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself and the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and intestines are to be burnt up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you, to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny it yourselves. It is the lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement for the most holy place. For the tent of meeting and the altar and for the priests and all the members of the community. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. And it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Um, so it's great to be with you all again, and um, it's um, a privilege to be um, sharing uh, with you on this uh, fairly pivotal chap chapter uh, in the book of uh, Leviticus, and uh, I think it's only appropriate that we uh, begin with prayer, so let's do that. Our gracious God and Father, we pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would open uh, your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word and uh, you would change us through it. And we pray it in your son's name. Amen. The Day of Atonement in Hebrew is called Yom Kippur. It's the most solemn and sacred day of the year in Jerusalem in Judaism. This year Jews in Australia will observe Yom Kippur uh, starting on the evening of the 15th of September and ending on the evening of the 16th of September. But they will not sacrifice any animals. There haven't been any animal sacrifices since 70 AD when the second temple was destroyed. Without a temple, there could be no sacrifices. According to one writer, Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is traditionally dedicated to prayer, complete fasting with medical exceptions, and attending to synagogue service with an unusually long liturgy. Orthodox Jews may attend a service from 8 or 9 a.m. to 3 p.m followed by an evening service at 5 or 6 p.m. that continues until sundown. 
Interspersed in the liturgy are confessions of sin and petitions for forgiveness. There is also a catch-all confession. Forgive us the breach of positive commands and negative commands, whether or not they involve an act, whether or not they are known to us. Leviticus, as John has told us, is the centrepiece of the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. And we could say that chapter 16 is the most important chapter in the whole book. And indeed in the whole of the Pentateuch, because it's also the centerpiece of the book of Leviticus. According to Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement provides a general remedy for the problem of uncleanness described in Leviticus chapters 11 to 15, as well as the problem of sin generally. So Leviticus 16 actually begins where chapter 10 verses 1 to 3 left off with the death of Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, when they offered God, to God unauthorised fire. You see, the priests who served God in the sanctuary, those who were physically closest to him, had to ensure they approached him on his terms, not their own. God was not their buddy. Here in chapter 16, God warned the high priest not to come into the Holy of Holies whenever he felt like it. The high priest could not treat the Holy of Holies as a drop-in centre. If he did, he could die. The only time God allowed the high priest to enter the Holy of Holies was on the Day of Atonement. As we were reminded uh, in, the, in our opening soil, our God is a holy God. Indeed, he is infinitely holy. As the creator of everyone and everything, God is transcendently holy. He is the unique supreme being, the source of life. But God is also infinitely holy in a moral sense. God hates uh, sin. His eyes are too, too pure to look on evil and he cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Habakkuk tells us that in chapter 1, verse 13. That's why Aaron's sons died. They offered God unauthorised fire and paid with their lives. Sadly for them, they learned that God is a consuming fire. Our holy God is not to be messed with. Because God is infinitely holy, he instituted the Day of Atonement. God's tabernacle or tent of meeting, and you probably can see it there uh, on the screen in front of you, was set up in the middle of the Israelites' camp. So the holy God lived in the middle of a sinful people. Day after day, sinful people would come into the tabernacle or the tent of meeting, leaving the unclean stain of sin. One commentator suggested the cumulative pollution of, the, of sin had to be purged 
before it reached a critical mass resulting in God's nuclear wrath blasting the people. In this chapter of Leviticus, we see how God commands both the high priest and the people to make atonement. The word atonement dominates this whole chapter. The Hebrew word kafar, translated make atonement, occurs 16 times in this chapter. The related word kaporeth, translated atonement cover, occurs seven times in the whole book of Leviticus, and all of them occur here in chapter 16. The Ark of the Covenant was located within the Holy of Holies. You can see that on the screen. The Ark contained the tablets with the Ten Commandments, the symbol of God's covenant. The atonement cover was the lid placed on top of the Ark and it was made of pure gold. The atonement cover was understood to be the throne of, on which God sat surrounded by cherubim as his royal entourage. Alternatively, the ark may be regarded as the earthly footstool for God's heavenly throne. The ark was the meeting point between the holy God and the representative of God's holy people. Now, it's pretty clear who was to make atonement. It was the high priest. He was the one to make atonement first for himself and his household, meaning the other priests, and then for the Israelite community. He was also to make atonement for the Holy of Holies, the tent of meeting and the altar of burnt offering. So what did atonement, making atonement involve here in chapter 16 and what did it mean it involved the sacrifice of animals to god first for the high priest and his household a bull for a sin offering and afterwards a ram for a burnt offering before entering the Holy of Holies, the high priest had to offer incense to ensure smoke concealed the atonement cover so he would not die. Verses 14 to 19 show that making atonement involved the sprinkling of blood, first from the sin offering of the bull and then the goat onto the and then the goat onto the atonement cover and seven times in front of it. The high priest then sprinkled the animal's blood on the tent of meeting, and then seven times on the horns of the altar of burnt offering. Making atonement for the people also involved the high priest getting a second live goat, previously chosen by casting lots, laying his hands on the head of the goat, confessing over it, all the sins of the people, putting those sins on the head of the goat and sending the goat into the wilderness to die. This live goat is referred to as the scapegoat in the NIV. 
The Hebrew word is Azazel, which occurs only here in the Old Testament. Now, there's some debate about what Azazel means. But as one writer observed, it all comes back to the same basic idea that sin is exterminated from Israel. This process of atonement, therefore, also involved the transfer and removal of sin. The second goat served as a substitute and representative on behalf of the Israelite community, bearing the people's sin into the wilderness where it would die. Then, after a wash and change of clothes, the high priest offered two rams for burnt offerings, one to make atonement for himself, the other to make atonement for the people. He was also to burn the fat of the two sin offerings on the burnt offering altar. There were additional rites that were to occur outside the camp, but we'll leave those aside for the moment. So we can see that the rites of atonement were quite involved. But what did it mean when the high priest made atonement for himself, the people and the Holy of Holies, the tent of meeting and the altar of burnt offering? Certain commentators have pointed out that the Hebrew word kafar, translated to make atonement in chapter 16, can have four possible meanings depending on different contexts. Their forgiveness, cleansing, ransom, and averting God's wrath. And none of these mean, those meanings necessarily excludes the others. Now, we don't have time to look at all these meanings. So I'm just going to focus on cleansing because here in chapter 16, cleansing is prominent in making atonement. Cleansing involved the sprinkling of blood. So the people were cleansed from all their sins. Look at verse 30. Because on this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It's not just the people of God who were cleansed from their sins. It was also the Holy of Holies, the tent of meeting and the altar of burnt offering. Look at verses 16, 18 and 19. As one commentator put it, human sin soils everything, even the place where God chose to reside on earth among the people. God's holiness therefore required the place to be cleansed. The New Testament letter to the Hebrews tells us that the sacrifices and priesthood under the law of Moses foreshadowed the perfect sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and his superior priesthood. We see that especially in Hebrews chapters 9 and 10 where there are a number of references to the sacrifices on the Day of Atonement and the role of the high priest and how Christ's sacrifice is perfect and his priesthood is superior. For example, 
Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, reminds us that the law required that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there was no forgiveness. Also, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, remind us that the high priest entered the most holy place every year with blood that was not his own. Whereas Jesus appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 10.4 tells us that it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But Hebrews 9.14 plainly states, the blood of Christ cleanses our consciences from acts that lead to death. The Apostle John put it in another way in 1 John 1 verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What a comfort that is. If we can just, if I can just share another shot there, please, uh, Nelson. Yeah, sure, uh, Sandra. I wanna... All right, All right try Sorry again. about that. That's no, right. Oops, I'll just go to the next one. The 19th century hymn writer Robert Lowry focused on the cleansing power of the blood of Christ in his hymn. What can wash my sin away? And I've put some of the verses up on the screen for you so you can follow with me. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my cleansing, this I see, nothing but the blood of Jesus. For my pardon, this my plea, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Only the blood of Jesus can remove all the guilty and shameful stains of sin. Just ask Bronson Blessington. I don't know if you've heard of his name. In 1988, Blessington participated in the kidnapping, rape and callous murder of a young woman named Janine Balding in Sydney. He was only 14 years old. He's currently serving a sentence of life imprisonment, never to be released. Blessington became a Christian at the age of 16 while in jail, and he has passionately shared the gospel with many of his fellow prisoners. By the way, his story shows the power of prison ministry. And if you want to read more, can I suggest you Google his name, Bronson Blessington, and there's an article about him and his changed life in Eternity Magazine. 
So I want to ask you, have you put your trust in Jesus to wash away all your sin? Have you experienced the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus that removes the guilty and shameful stain of sin? In chapter 16, we also see the important role of substitution in these rituals of atonement. We've already touched on that with the ritual of the scapegoat in verses 20 to 22. The high priest was the representative of all the Israelites. By laying his hands on the head of the scapegoat and confessing the sins of the people, he identified with the goat and symbolically transferred all the sins of the people from blunders to premeditated wrongs. I don't know if you notice the words in verse 21, wickedness and rebellion and sin. In bearing the people's sin, the goat bore the punishment for their sin in their place. The sending away of this, of this substitute scapegoat to a remote place where it would die removes sin's burden and guilt far away from the Israelite camp. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. Psalm 103, verse 12. Jesus experienced God's punishment for our sins on the cross of Calvary. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There are two implications for us from these twin truths of cleansing and substitution. The first is enjoy your privileged direct access to God. Unlike the Old Testament high priest, we can come confidently into the very presence of God any time knowing that we have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus of all our sins. And we don't need to fear death like the high priest did. Jesus, our great high priest and perfect sacrifice, has accomplished that for us. Are you regularly enjoying your privileged direct access to God our Father. What's your prayer life like at the moment? The second implication is live as Christians. Seems fairly straightforward, doesn't it? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 states. He himself, referring to Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins 
and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus has been punished for our sins. Their substitution. Now we are to live for righteousness, not sin. <coughs> Pardon me. Are you living a life of righteousness to reflect your own new life in Christ? What do you need to change so you can be more Christ-like? As we remember with thankfulness Jesus' once-for-all atoning death, let's enjoy our privileged direct access to God that he secured for us. And as Christians, seek to live for righteousness. Let's pray. Father God, you are holy. You hate sin. Thank you that the blood of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, cleanses us from all sin. And because of that, we have the privilege and joy of direct access to you at any time. Help us to make the most of that. Thank you that Jesus died in our place and suffered the punishment we justly deserve for all our sins. Because of our new life in Christ, enable us by your Holy Spirit to live a life of righteousness to make those needful changes in our life to be more like Jesus. In his wonderful name we pray. Amen. Now it's time for Q&A. So, guys, feel free to leave questions on the Zoom chat or uh, to just uh, speak out or otherwise just put it in Padlet. Um, but I don't think there's anything on Zoom chat uh, right now. And so we'll just go on to Padlet first. So Sandra. All right. So yeah, a couple of questions have already come in. So let's start from the top. Um, all right, Andrew. So how do Jews atone for their sins today without the temple? With difficulty. They, they really can't. If they're being strict, I can't see how they can. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I, I do recall reading something, some explanation, but I can't remember it off the top of my head. Maybe John has some wisdom to share on that. Um, on the atoning without the temple. Yeah, I, I think they, they can't as well. Um, I think like modern practising Jews just rely on repentance and prayer and good deeds. And I think they do that based off some of the verses in the minor prophets that say, you know, God desires a repentant heart, not offerings and sacrifice. Ah, so oh, yes, Hosea, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's Hosea something. Hosea. Yeah, it's from Hosea. Uh, Jesus actually quoted that, if I remember uh, rightly, you know. Yeah. About, um, um, so um, I, think it's, uh, I think it's Hosea 6, uh, maybe. But anyway, um, yeah, uh, 
I just can't see how they can um, because it's if they're being stripped without the shedding of blood. Mm. I guess that's why they desperately want that temple spot back as well. Orthodox um, Jews, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, well, hopefully that provides some clarification and insight. Um, next question. Uh, so with the scapegoat that symbolises how Jesus takes our sins away, is that correct? Uh, it's, it's, well, there's a verse in Hebrews about Jesus being outside the camp. Uh, I think it's Hebrews 13. Um, but... It's more the case of the idea of substitute, um, the transfer. That's the symbolism there. This, um, so that's what I would uh, say. Um, yes, it does. In one sense, it does picture. I mean, Jesus is never compared to the scapegoat. John the Baptist calls, says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? So mm -hmm. the idea of substitute is there. So the, here we see the transfer of the punishment that was due to the Jews on the going, if you like, onto the being transferred onto the scapegoat. Because he had to go out, it was let loose into the wilderness, mm -hmm. um, and it, they made sure it was nowhere near the camp because the idea was it would be go off, take the sins, their sins with it, with it, and die. So um, uh, so that, that's where the idea of substitution. So, yes, mm -hmm. but it's not, you know, Jesus is never called the scapegoat or anything like that. He's called the, in Revelation, which you've, I know you've looked at and I remember preaching, as you know, yeah. is the lamb. Mm. He's always pictured as the lamb. Um, but there is that element of substitution here. And transference, okay. transferring. Yeah. All right, awesome. Did you uh, want to add, John, to that? Uh, no, no. I think you've covered it. Beautiful. And I guess uh, is this where today's meaning of scapegoat in the English language comes from? Would you say that? I think that's fair enough to say it, but, of course, it's, it's quite different the way we use it. <clears throat> these days it's um um from the old test uh, actually if i can just go back into a bit of history here the word scapegoat was actually um created by william tyndale who translated the bible into english that was the word he used to describe um to, to translate that hebrew word azazel and uh, of course, the scapegoat from, from a Jewish perspective was positive in the sense of, you know, he where um, that idea of transfer and transfer and removal. We use it uh, in a today, we use it in that sense of he's being used as a scapegoat. In other words, I'm transferring my blame onto him. So there is a similarity, I suppose, but that's yeah. where it came from. Yes. Okay, fair enough. Uh, and then is this sacrifice different than the sin offerings from earlier chapters? 
Um, is this sacrifice different? Um, I'm. Do you mean the cute? I'm not sure about the the framing or the the uh, question. Is it meaning the Day of Atonement? Because there are a number of sacrifices. Yeah, you've got the I'm sin probably offering, that. You've got the burnt offering. You've got the scapegoat, and all and all of them sort of come together. I think to. Uh, to to um, um, as this, if you like, annual cleansing um, or purging of sin, and the people being, you know, God being able to still dwell with them, um, um, because He's infinitely holy. The sin, the accumulation of sin, had to be dealt with. In, in in the camp, so um, yeah, the day yeah, of atonement. So, yeah. yeah, so it's I suppose it's different in the sense of um, this the way it's laid out on this particular day, um, because you had the other sin offerings and burnt offerings in the earlier chapters, so. Um, it's just that it's been adapted for a particular day here in terms of going into the temp into the holy of holies and putting it on the mercy you know the um, atonement cover sometimes referred to as a mercy seat but atonement cover is a better translation um, so I, I think it's um, so there is some degree of commonality, but it's the the ambit, isn't it, in terms of this specific date mm. and what had to be covered, persons and things. Yeah. Okay. John, did you want to add to that? Or? Um, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, and I haven't thought about that specifically. Um, but I probably would add to, I'll add some random thoughts to what you're saying. Um, I think the, uh, all right, so this is speculative, I guess. Like I'm kind of thinking on the spot and some of this might be wrong. Um, but it seems like there's a need for the Day of Atonement beyond, so the sin offerings kind of worked in that moment but you had to have the Day of Atonement to kind of tie it all together, it seems like. And the, the big difference, because they actually offer sin offerings within the Day of Atonement, so it seems like the big uh, unique thing about the Day of Atonement is the scapegoat part, because um, the rest function is sin offerings and burnt offerings, which we've seen, but it's the scapegoat that's really unique about it. And what I'm guessing that says is that with all the sin offerings, like you kind of maybe um, atonement or forgiveness of sins is taken care of in the sin offerings, but there's kind of like uh, the remnant of sin remaining with the people, even after sin offerings. So it's like you're forgiven of sins, but that sin is still, still marks you. But the unique part of the day of atonement, it seems like that your sins actually get transferred away from you um, to the scapegoat, which carries it. Um, until it's death, I suppose. 
And so you're no longer marked with that sin. Um, whereas the sin offerings like give you forgiveness, cleansing, that sort of thing. You still have that history of sin on you, I guess. But this is like a full, like God's fully removing the sin from the people, putting on the scapegoat, and the people are no longer marked by sin. And uh, maybe that's another parallel to what Jesus is doing for us. Like he actually um, takes, like, I guess maybe that's what it means when he says he takes our sins away. It's not like he just forgives, he enables forgiving of our sins. He actually like removes that mark of sin from us and it's transferred to him. Maybe, <laughs> maybe. We call that, they call that the great exchange. You know, he takes our, our sin on himself. And our, his righteousness is transferred to us. So um, that's another aspect. But also, of course, what you say is where there's that cleansing, you know, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Um, and the interesting thing is the it, sin was not just a personal thing in terms of the, the thing is the sin is not just an individual thing. There are communal impacts. Individual sins affect the community in so many different ways. And here you had, like I said, well, I, I, you know, I mentioned that people were going in and out of the tabernacle, you know, offering daily sacrifices and things like that. And, yes, you rightly say they personally been forgiven, but the stain of sin was impacting on the physical tabernacle in some way that required it to be spring-cleaned, if I can put it like that, every year. And um, there is a bit of a parallel in the Christian life, though, too, isn't there? Because, yes, we've been forgiven past, present and future for all our sins, but it's like when Jesus approached Peter, you know, just before his death, when he says, let me wash your feet, you know. And he says, oh, not my feet, my whole body too. But Jesus was alluding to the fact, well, if you've been, you know, you've, in a sense you've been washed, you've been cleaned. Of, and But we pick up the daily grime of sin, if I can put it like that, that has to be cleansed. So, and of course, Jesus's blood avails for that as well, so that we're, you know, um, cleansed of that. Does that, I don't know, if that parallel helps? Yeah. Hopefully uh, it helps for everyone listening. Yeah. Um, I think it's it's a really new thought in my head, so I... I yeah, I'm still working through what you've said, what I'm thinking. Uh, it's a really good question. <laughs> yeah. No, great question. Um, very open-ended. And um, I guess I'm not sure if there's any others. Um... Can I just add this? Yeah. Uh, the thought occurred to me this too, that in 1 John, you know, um, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. Doesn't it? Uh, it says something like that there. Um, um, but it, and if we do sin, we have uh, uh, an advocate, um, Jesus Christ, the righteous. 
and, um, you know, that he was the propitiation for our sins. So I'm getting, I'm picking up the idea from that, yes, we are saved sinners, and yes, in the sight of God, we're innocent and we're justified and we're holy in the sense of being set apart and cleansed, but still there's that old sinful nature in us that sins, you know, every day we do something and we require the ongoing cleansing blood of Christ to deal with that. Mm. That's our exist that's our reality, isn't it? You know, we regularly look at the service, you know, we confess our sins, often in church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our sins, even as we forgive others who sin against us. So there's that. Uh, ongoing aspect, I suppose. So once saved, always saved. Uh, and yes, on the day of judgment, we'll be pleading uh, Christ's blood and righteousness for our salvation. But in this life, we will have those ongoing needs of cleansing, mm-hmm. um, if I can put it like that, picking up the daily grime of sin. Yeah. No, great point. All right. Uh, thanks for all your insights, Andrew.